This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life doesn't have a pause button. That's why Capella University's FlexPath Learning Format lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them if something comes up. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference for you at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is the bass player for Scrantonicity 2, not to be confused with Scrantonicity. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen. It's good to see you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend. Tonight... And tomorrow, we will be sipping on Heart of Lothian by Drop-In Brewing Company in Middlebury, Vermont. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. Heart of Lothian is one of Drop-In's flagship beers, and it's brewed year-round. This is a traditional Scottish 90-shilling ale brewed with Scottish Golden Promise Barley Malt, British Floor Malted Crystal, and Chocolate Malts. 5.6% ABV. And this great beer was brought to us by our good friends. First up, we have Miriam in good old Germany. And a big we like you jib to Kristen in Sealing, Oklahoma. Next up, we have a trio for you, but they don't know each other. Mm -hmm. This is Vicky, Cassidy, and Ryan, all in beautiful parts unknown. Mm -hmm. Make sure you pay your monthly membership fees. (laughs) We also, Captain, have Heather in St. Mary's, Georgia. And last but certainly not least, we have Yasmin in Dundee, UK. So thanks to everybody for going to True Crime Garage, helping out with the beer fund, checking out the blog, checking out the store page, checking out all of our beautiful shirts, coffee mugs, and garage gear at that store page. And thank you for donating to the beer fund. We are a little bit behind, so just be patient, people. We'll get to you. It's first come, first serve, Captain. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. On a freezing dark night in March of 2004, a young 17-year-old girl clocked out of work just before midnight. She got into her car and drove in the direction of home. She has never 
been seen again. Her car was found in what I can only say has to be one of the strangest vehicular accident scenes I've ever viewed. Her car was smashed backwards into an abandoned, creepy old farmhouse. The old house has a violent history and possible drug connections. But what happened to the driver of that car? And was this really even a car accident at all? Or did a terrible crime take place? Something that may have led to the abduction of this girl. It is very likely that someone out there knows something and still guards their dark secrets all of these years later. This week, we tell the story of the disappearance of Brianna Maitland. This case is an absolute jumble of confusing facts, debatable evidence, complex characters, contradictory theories, and rampant rumors. So to break this thing down, we are first going to get into what we know to be true based on tangible evidence as well as reports by Brianna's parents, friends, and others who interacted with her. So this is what actually happened the day that Brianna Maitland disappeared. March 19th, 2004, Montgomery, Vermont. This is a small rural town of about 900 people near the Canadian border. This is late winter in northern New England. The ground is still frozen and the air cold. The low temperature that night was only 8 degrees. This sparsely populated area features dense woods, wide open fields, and houses and farms set far apart in the landscape. Vermont, at the time, had a very low crime rate compared to much of the rest of the nation. This is Friday, and the 17-year-old Brianna Maitland and her mother are going out to lunch after they went shopping at a local mall. Now, Brianna and her mother had somewhat of a strained relationship. All seemed normal on this trip until one point when Kelly, Brianna's mom, says that They were in a store, and Brianna started staring at something outside of the store. Brianna mumbled something to herself and then walked out. By the time Kelly paid for her purchases and walked out to the parking lot, Brianna was waiting for her. She seemed agitated and upset. Kelly said the mood had noticeably changed. She decided not to press her daughter about this issue, though. Brianna made no mention of why she left the store so suddenly. She just said she needed to hurry back to where she was staying to get ready for work. Brianna was not living at the Maitland home at this time. She was staying with her friend since fourth grade. This is Jillian Stout at Jillian's dad's home. Kelly dropped her off there between 3.30 and 4 p.m. on that day. Now, Brianna had a job as a dishwasher at a local establishment. This is the Black Lantern Inn. She's working evenings after uh, school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the school's a bit tricky here, Captain, because it's not traditional what you would think for a high school age girl, 17-year-old girl. She actually was studying for her GED at a local community college during the day. 
This was a popular tavern where she worked where locals and skiers would gather for meals and drinks. That afternoon, Brianna left a handwritten note for her friend Jillian. The note told Jillian that Brianna would be home after her shift at work. The Vermont State Police retains a copy of this note, but the family has never seen it. So we don't know exactly what it says. Mm -hmm. Reports are that it just states that Brianna planned to return to Jillian's after her shift to stay the night there. Now, there are no accounts, Captain, of anything unusual during her shift at work that night. Other employees said that Brianna acted normal. Brianna wore an apron-like uniform uh, that had pockets. Her family doesn't know what else she was wearing that night. The inn was very busy that Friday night, and Brianna didn't finish until after 11 p.m. Her co-workers report that she declined to stick around. Some of the co-workers would hang out at the Black Lantern Inn after their shift, and she declined on that night. Right. Some reports say she told colleagues that she had to get to bed because she had to work her other job the next morning. This may have been true. Brianna just days before started work as a waitress at KJ's Diner, but we're we aren't certain whether she did have a shift the next morning or not. There are no reports that we've seen to indicate that when she failed to show up the next day or indeed for nearly a week, that anyone at the diner called anybody or notified anyone. Well, right. She just started. So, I mean, they could have just been like, well, she flaked out. Right. Yeah. They don't know her character at that point. So Brianna clocked out of, from the Black Lantern Inn at 11.20 p.m. on March 19th, and she walked out into the cold, dark night. Multiple sources, including the Vermont State Police, report that she was seen by other employees getting into her car and driving away. Brianna's car was a big, green, four-door, 1985 Oldsmobile 88 Royale. It was a boat. That's right. Given to her by her grandfather. This was nearly 20 years old. The vehicle was nearly 20 years old, and it, frankly, it, it looked like it. <laughs> um, the car was registered to Kelly Maitland. This is uh, Brianna's mom, but Brianna was the driver of the vehicle. Right. So 1.3 miles down the road from the Black Lantern Inn, in the direction of where Brianna was staying with Jillian, was an abandoned house known to the locals as the Old Dutch Burn Place. It was a dilapidated farmhouse set about 40 or 50 feet off of the East Berkshire Road, Route 118. The windows and the doors are boarded up with plywood. Mm -hmm. The farmhouse has been abandoned since 1986 when two elderly brothers who lived there, Mike and Harry Dutch Burn, were viciously attacked by an intruder in the home and beaten severely. Both men had to be hospitalized and seek permanent care after this incident, and neither of them ever returned to the house. That case has never been solved. The Dutchburn house rests on a small bluff overlooking a large field that is bordered on the other side by a river. I will post pictures of this so you can see not only the building, but also the crash site. So like we said, Captain, it's 1.3 miles from where she works, this uh, abandoned house. So it wouldn't have taken her long at all to get to this location. Now, the tricky thing here, though, is early in the morning on March 
20th, this is a Saturday, a group of three skiers from nearby Jay Peak Ski Resort were driving on Route 118 and came to the Dutchborn Place. What they saw there caused them to pull over, park their car, and get out to take a closer look. By the light of day, they could see the large green car with the rear corner of the car embedded in the house and the trunk end of the car partially stuck up on the house's foundation. The plywood covering one of the windows was knocked out by the impact and was lying on the trunk of the car. The ski group was so intrigued by this strange tableau that they took a bunch of photos of this scene and photos that can still be seen today online. The ones that you're talking about, uh, picking one and posting there. Yeah. Didn't they find a lime on the back of her trunk? They did. And we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, after the, this trio were done taking the photos and I believe these photos are the only publicly viewable photos of the car wedged into the side of the abandoned house um, that are available to the public. But they left after taking these pictures. Now, later that day, around 1.20 p.m., a state trooper driving by noticed the eerie scene and stopped by the car to check it out. He found the car doors closed but unlocked, windows up and no keys anywhere in sight. Peering into the car, he likely saw all of the following things that were in the car and visible in photos. So we have a marijuana leaf decoration hanging from the rear mirror. We have litter and objects all over the interior of the car, including takeout containers, a snow scraper, a case of cans of tuna, Cheez-Its, and other food. There were also two paychecks found inside the car with the name Brianna Maitland on them. There are many reports that there were some things found on the ground outside the car. A police officer noted a broken necklace on the ground and tossed it into the car. There was also loose change and a water bottle, and by some reports, an unsmoked cigarette. The cop basically made an assumption that a drunk driver had an accident and the car was possibly stuck on the house's foundation and they ditched the vehicle so that they wouldn't get in trouble. He issued a tow order for the vehicle, which it was picked up and towed to a local garage. It does not seem that the officer made any attempt to contact the registered owner of the vehicle. This is Kelly Maitland. Um, Brianna's mother. So the vehicle here, captain is look, you know, I keep saying that it's an eerie scene. Mm -hmm. It's an eerie scene because we're sitting here talking today and we know that this girl, this poor girl is missing. Right. And I think for me just driving by, if I would have been from the roadside there looking at the scene, it's a strange one. I definitely think it's a strange one to see a vehicle backed into an abandoned home. Right. But it's a, it's more of a barn. Yeah, it, that's farmhouse. I think is a f- fair right. uh, uh, thing to call it. So, but I think you could offer somebody a hundred bucks to spend the night in it, and there would be a lot of people that want to take that offer. Well, that's it's interesting that you say that because it, it does have the violent history. It is kind of out in the middle of nowhere, um, but right beside the road, right? And it's it's in a dark area that would be it'd be very dark at night. This is not an area that's like lined with street lights. Right. Um, 
But we do have the trio that see the vehicle that morning. They take pictures of it. There is a rumor that the officer that scheduled the towing of the vehicle took a picture as well of the car. Yeah, I've heard that as and, well. And But that if that photo exists, either electronically or physically, then it's not one that is viewable, not one that you will find on the internet. Well, I think maybe you're confusing that with the story of the officer that uh, stopped and took pictures, I believe, the night before. and But he was on his way. He was off duty. Hmm. I think that's... I have not heard that story. Yeah, I believe this. the story goes that there's an officer off duty. He stopped, took pictures, and then just went on his way. Does he report what time that would have taken place? That would have been... It would have been like early morning, like a couple hours after... Uh, she went missing basically. So we have the vehicle. It is towed from the scene. I do want to throw this out there, captain, because I have seen a lot of comments on this case, especially when people looking at pictures of the vehicle, uh, backed into this abandoned house. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that really criticize the state trooper, the police here for not doing more with the vehicle in those comments. And I, tend to disagree with that criticism and i think well i mean here's what happens is we have a few of these cases where it's not a drunk driver mm -hmm. and it becomes something more and then the cops get a lot of criticism here but we're not factoring in the amount of abandoned cars they're getting in their jurisdiction every weekend mm -hmm. and this is this is a common thing and this is something that I don't think that, uh, well, obviously, a bunch of people don't understand in the general public. This is a common thing, like you said. They're, now, we live in a major city, so driving here, it's not uncommon for me to pass a, at least one abandoned car on my way just to get to the garage mm -hmm. each week. So here, you know, we see it. It's right in front of our faces. Maybe here in this, uh, where our case and where our... Uh, story takes place you know it's it's a rural area so maybe this doesn't take place on the daily like we have here but right. it, this is a common thing for state troopers and police to have to deal with and then on top of that look their job is to show up and assess the situation okay and nine times well not even nine times it's 99 times out of 100 it's straight up an abandoned vehicle right either it doesn't run for some reason or the person left it there for any number of reasons the officer would just look at the vehicle and try to determine if another if some kind of actual crime took place right and if it doesn't look like the, a crime took place you're having the vehicle towed mm -hmm. and as long as if this person you know, stays missing, right? Mm -hmm. If if somebody's reported missing, this is their vehicle. We at least have the car to investigate anything inside the car. Mm -hmm. The other thing too is there's a lot of crit criticism by people saying, "Well, the officer could have at least reached out to the registered owner of the vehicle." Yeah, and I I, I kind of agree with that. I I do, and I don't, and here's why. Um, one, the person that ends up going missing isn't the technically the paper owner of this vehicle. Right, but the cop doesn't know any of that. I mean, basically, at the end of the day, you have a, a car on the side of the road, and who's responsible for that car? The Who, owner. Whoever it's registered to. So 
you contact the register. Hey, your car is being towed to such and such location. I don't think that's, and it doesn't have to be the cop. It could be the towing company. Somebody should notify the person when you're towing their car. I, like I said, I, I have mixed feelings about that. I agree. And I disagree with that criticism and mixed feelings about you. Well, good for you. But (laughs) what I'm saying here is the, the police are not, um, it's not their job to contact the owner. In my opinion, they're they're They don't need to hunt down the person and say, look, well, we found your car or you abandoned your car here and it's been towed. Um, right. I think where, again, it's cause we know the outcome and we also know that the person driving this car was a 17 year old, you know, a teenager. Right. And when this case becomes natural national news right. and others have that are similar to this case, and we'll get into those later, but that's when people start wondering, Hey, what are they doing over there? Why aren't they <laughs> treating this vehicle? Like it's something serious. Now, what I will say is this, a couple questionable things. The, the where I might change my mind and say that I do agree with you, Captain, and agree with the criticism of others that the registered owner was not um, contacted by law enforcement is I see some signs of possibly somebody living out of this vehicle. Right. And I, and I think cans of tuna where I agree with you is it's not protocol, right. but maybe it should be protocol, especially in these situations where if it is a teenager or kid, we don't know that. By just looking at the vehicle, but like you said, there's evidence. You have this tuna in the car. You have this evidence that almost somebody's living out of this vehicle. Mm-hmm. And the other thing here, though, is you say, "Well, I I'm curious. Did the, would the car have run? Was it operational?" And I think that's a question in a lot of people's minds. And we don't know that because the officer didn't find the vehicle, find the keys. Right. He found a vehicle unlocked. The doors closed but unlocked no keys. He has no way of determining if it's operational, but that would have to me that that would point us in some different areas because what you're going to see in this case is there's a lot of different theories and a lot of them are going to have to do with what actually happened with this vehicle. Right. And so we don't know if the vehicle was operational. Here's what my guess is. It actually doesn't look to me like anybody you know, came spinning off the road and wrecked into the side of this abandoned house. No, because they didn't wreck into it side first or head first. They, they backed into the building. And it almost looks to me like I kept saying, you know, it, it appears and others agree with this statement that it appears that maybe the vehicle, the rear portion of the vehicle, the trunk of the vehicle is up on the house's foundation. So picture this, you have a much more solid foundation holding up basically a wooden farmhouse, right? So the vehicle, now, mind you, this is 1980. This is vehicles in 1985. I had a 1986 Buick Regal. Those cars back then were not built the way that our cars are built today. Our cars today feel very plasticky and they crumple. They're meant to crumple to protect the, the passengers and the driver of the vehicle. If there were an accident back then, Mm -hmm. the corners of those vehicles were solid, man. Those things were solid. The, it, That's the, true. The corner, the front corners of my car, I know this from experience, would do damage to to anything that they came in contact with. Back when you had the the Buick. So her vehicle, mm-hmm. this eighty five uh, Oldsmobile, to me, it looks like somebody may have been in the yard near this abandoned home, 
and try to back up, you know, right. throw the thing into reverse and think about how dark we already said it would have been there at this location right. at and night. We don't, we don't have backup cameras. Yeah. <laughs> My thought is maybe someone, I, I'm not willing to say who was driving the vehicle, mm-hmm. but let's say it was Brianna. She could have, for whatever reason, stopped in that yard, decided to throw the vehicle into reverse, and then the corner of that car smashed through the wood portion of the abandoned home and somehow slid up onto the more solid foundation, actually lifting the rear of the vehicle slightly up and off of the ground yeah. underneath the car. She, she, I think she pulled a juvenile. Well, the thing is, a lot of people, when they look at the picture, and and I know we're really going into the vehicle a lot, but like I said, that's kind of the core of this case, in my opinion. And a lot of people would say, well, if she were driving the vehicle and had some kind of accident into the side of that abandoned home, why didn't she just continue driving on? Well, what I'm getting at is if, in fact, the rear of the vehicle was lifted up slightly onto the foundation of the of the home, Right. That 1985 Oldsmobile 88 Royale was a rear wheel drive vehicle. If the if the back is elevated, she's not able to get those tires on the ground to drive off. Especially if she's by herself. Right. If you had a few people there, you might be able to figure it out or or unwedge the vehicle. Yeah, so whether or not the the car is drivable, it could have been operational and she had no ability to get it right, but you're unstuck. Stuck. Right. The other thing too, Captain, is that we have the doors are all closed but unlocked. Now, we have to keep in mind, this is an 85. This is a four-door car. These are all individual locks. This is not like somebody hit one single button and unlocked all four doors at the same time. Right. And there's some question as to who was operating that vehicle at the time that it wrecked into the side of the home or how many people could have been inside that vehicle. No eyewitnesses that saw her leaving with anybody. Right. And so you have to ask yourself, would it have been more commonplace? It'd be interesting to know if she was the type that locked her car doors. Because if we're talking about a situation where she wrecked on accident and just hopped out of the car and decided to leave on foot, if she was the type to lock her doors, I would expect to find the other three doors possibly locked. I mean, it, it takes a bit of effort to go through and unlock all four doors. Well, of course you want to lock your doors to save all that tuna. That's right. But there are people out there that do not lock their car doors. You know, you and I know these you know people like this that say... Maniacs. Well, no, but you have some people that have, unfortunately, their car windows have been smashed out so somebody can break into the car. Mm. And I, have, I do have several friends that don't have alarm systems on their car. And they've just told me straight up, look, I don't keep anything in my car and I keep my doors unlocked. That way, if somebody wants to check my car, they can just check the car door. And I have, I'm tired of paying for smashed windows in my car. So moving on, captain, we do have the car that's towed and we have Brianna who is missing. So on Sunday night, March 21st, her roommate, Jillian, returned home from the weekend she spent away at her grandmother's home. She noticed the note left by Brianna was still on the counter. She didn't think much of it, actually, because Brianna was not living at home, like we said, but she was also moving around quite a bit lately. She was crashing at friends' homes and 
even boyfriends' homes, and not staying in one place for too long. She was doing a bit of couch surfing, Captain. But by Tuesday, March 23rd, when Brianna still hadn't been seen or heard from, Jillian called the Maitlands and asked for Brianna. Kelly Maitland immediately became alarmed. She called her sister, Tammy. She called various friends as well. And after searching fruitlessly on March 23rd, the Maitlands contacted the Vermont State Police to file a missing persons report on their daughter. They were told that an APB would be put out on Brianna and her car. The Maitlands heard nothing from the police for two days. Now, there are some discrepancies in the the story about the car being found. Okay. According to what the Vermont State Police told media sources, they established the identity of the owner of the car and they called the Maitlands on that Thursday. According to what the Maitlands told Dateline NBC and other sources, that on that Thursday after Brianna went missing, they went down to the Vermont State Police and demanded some attention be paid to their daughter's case. When the Maitlands arrived, they sat down with an officer. Now, during a conversation, the officer who had actually found the vehicle, found the car stuck at the Dutchburn place, right. overheard this conversation and came over, to which he pulled out a photo that he took of the car. And Kelly Maitland reacted. She said the photo of the car made her stomach roll. And as she put it, quote, I saw evil in that photo. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it 
absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 
to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Yes, sir. So here we have a situation, Captain, where after being notified, regardless of how it actually went down by the police, that the vehicle was found Saturday morning, that Brianna's vehicle was found Saturday morning, now we have her mother and father coming to the realization that, you know, this conversation is happening on Thursday. Right. We found her vehicle Saturday. They heard from her friend Jillian on Tuesday who said, hey, I came home on Sunday and I haven't seen her. So likely the parents were thinking that she's been missing since Sunday. Now they find out it could be could have been as early as Friday night when she left work. So now they're terrified. And the father, her father is going to go to the garage where this vehicle is to view Brianna's car. Mm-hmm. This was, look, this has got to be hard for anyone to do, but we have a father of a missing daughter going to view the vehicle, and there's an issue here. The vehicle's keys were not found with the vehicle. Mm -hmm. When he arrives to check out this car, they have the issue of the trunk. Somebody's got to look in that trunk. And back then, this is not the type of vehicle where you could pull a lever and release the trunk the top of the trunk. Right. You'd have to have a key for it. Yeah. And because the keys were missing, nobody has checked that, that trunk. And actually he said, you know, Hey, when I walked up to this, this car, me and the guy that worked there it may have been an officer. I'm not certain, but these two guys had to pry open the trunk with a, with a crowbar the whole time. He's concerned that he's going to find the body of his daughter in the trunk of that car. Yeah along with some of her belongings. And, you know, so you can only imagine the moment of terror when the lid finally popped on that thing, you know, praying that he would not find Brianna in the trunk of that car. All they did find, thankfully, were boxes and bags of her possessions. Um, They did not find her. Now, back then, 2004, Brianna did not have a cell phone. So that would also add to the mystery of this quote unquote car accident at the abandoned house. Right. It's my understanding though, captain, you know, this is 2004 upstate Vermont that there was little to most likely no cell service anywhere in the area of the vehicle accident. Right. That makes you wonder if she wrecked her car and she was alone and her car couldn't get, she couldn't get the car out of the barn basically. Right. That would she, hitchhike right and the other thing too there is some argument out there that people state well she did have she did have a cell phone and that's that's not true she didn't have a cell phone what's actually true is that her mother had a cell phone at the time and on occasion would let her use it Mm -hmm. even take it with her she just didn't have it that day correct you're absolutely right so it's kind of clear that the police assumed early on in the investigation that uh, Brianna was maybe a runaway or at the very least some sort of irresponsible teenager. Now, Bruce and Kelly, the parents, 
became very frustrated early on. And this is mainly because one of her coworkers, one of Brianna's coworkers actually told the police that she had said she was going on some sort of trip, some kind of short trip at the time. And one of Brianna's friends said that they often talked about escaping to Florida. And another friend said that Brianna often made reference to wanting to get out of the small town, Vermont and head to a city like Montreal or New York. So, <laughs> which is a lot different than Florida. Well, but that's what's tricky for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. When you start talking to people close to her, you have one saying, Hey, she was talking about going on some kind of trip. Right. You have one saying, Hey, she always talked about going and moving to Florida at some point, And then somebody else saying she wanted to move to a large city. This is just proof that most people don't listen to you when you talk. What do you mean? <laughs> it's just, I mean, the fact that all of her friends have all these different stories. Well, she could have told different people different things over the course of possibly it's who, more it's who knows more, how long it's more likely that people just don't pay attention um well the problem here though captain is going to be that her family they don't agree with any of this they want the police to be looking for their daughter but what the police know on the on the surface is look we have a 17 year old that's not living with her parents at the time that she suddenly disappears right And she's also told multiple people that she had plans or at least desired to go elsewhere at some point in her life. The Maitlands demanded uh, to be given lie detector tests because, you know, knowing that the family would be investigated at some point, they wanted to be involved in the investigation and help. So they offered up anything that they could do to be eliminated, at least as suspects, so that they could be involved in the search for their daughter. There are reports that Brianna had left once before without telling her parents. Now, her father, Bruce, later denied this on the Nancy Grace TV show. Um, At the time she vanished, Brianna had moved out of her parents' house, as we said. They lived on a remote farmhouse in Franklin, and she had moved in with various friends and boyfriends from the time that she moved out. I'm a little unclear captain of exactly when she moved out from her parents home. Mm -hmm. The understanding I have is that the Maitlands were likely in the process of separating and that she didn't have a great relationship with her mother. She did have a good relationship by all reports with her father. Uh, But again, I don't know that situation other than it's important to know she was not living at home. There are some reports, like you and I suspected, that she may have lived in her car temporarily at times. Right. I mean, if she couldn't find a couch to crash on, okay, I'll just sleep in the back of my car. What we do know is that in February of 2004, she dropped out of school. Uh, She enrolled in, depending on who you talk to, a GED program or a GHD program. Right. The old GHD and this would have been at a local community college. Do we know why she dropped out of school? Because I, I heard rumors that she was a good student. So I heard two completely different rumors. Okay. Um, so one rumor is that she was involved in drugs or mm-hmm. had some kind of drug issue right. that was getting in the way of schooling and may have been leading to her getting in trouble, at least at, on the school level. Right. And then the other rumor that I heard was that she um, didn't get along with some of the students, that 
she either didn't fit in. I'm a little unclear what exactly that meant. Um, but we do know this. She actually attended two different high schools before dropping out. Right. So. Well, it could be both though. You right. Know, it could be, you have a little bit of issues with people you go to school with. So you're using drugs to kind of cope with that. Mm-hmm. It could be both. Well, we also have a strange issue here that I call into question because after she went missing, according to her mother, uh, she publicly stated, her mother publicly stated several times that she, Brianna, was starting to get her life together. I'm uncertain as to what that means. Mm. Okay, to me, when I hear that, that indicates that there was something where her life was not together. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what that means in the perspective of her mother, right? Well, it makes, um, gives some validity to the the rumors of possibly she was using drugs. Right. And that was my first thought. Now, I don't know if, if what she's referring to is, well, she dropped out of one school, went to the other school, dropped out of that one, and she was working on getting her GED right. is some form of trying to get her life together. But what the parents would point out is if she wanted to leave, the problem they pointed to with not believing that theory from the police is the two uncashed paychecks that were left in her vehicle. This seems like something that she would have needed. There is some argument by the parents as well that she would have taken the vehicle with her. But as you and I stated, if if she were if the vehicle was stuck, that may not have been an option right. at the end. But the paychecks would have been. If if we would have known that she was going to go missing, right? The police officers knew they could have done a couple tests to see if they could even get the vehicle moving. Right. Again, that's what you're always going to have that argument that the cops could have done more. Yeah. Well, we have the Vermont state police. They did work with the FBI and conducted ground and air searches of the area surrounding the abandoned house. Well, cause it wasn't their department. Very, very small. Okay. So this is my understanding and this almost seems unbelievably small, mm-hmm. but my understanding That's is what she said. that they had like 13 officers for the entire County. Yeah. That's what I heard. And so there's thousands of people that were reported missing roughly in that area. Like not, not, not from that town, but within that area. So to to have only 13 officers be able to look for anybody, that's, that's crazy. Well, and if you're sitting there thinking that 13 doesn't sound like that small of a number, let's keep in mind that the police force is a 24 seven operation. Okay. Um, and actually in some small towns, I will say, state this, it does, they do shut down from time to time, but this is the Mm. state police. So from my understanding, it would be the, a 24 seven operation of 13 men and women patrolling the area. 24 hours, seven months a year. Now regarding these searches, captain, I'm a little unclear as to when they actually took place, which you know, really can mess up what they could have possibly found, but they were days long, these searches, the ground searches, and they did include hundreds of volunteered citizens with as many as 500 participating at one point. Now this area includes many, many acres of forest land, which can be very difficult to search. So the searches turn up really nothing related to Brianna. 
The Maitlands went into search and rescue mode themselves with Bruce searching areas with friends and Kelly designing, printing, and disseminating thousands of missing persons flyers all over the area. Investigators also searched the Dutch Burn House and the surrounding woods. A couple of sources reported that the Vermont State Police, uh, their detective, Brian Miller, told the media investigators found a gun and drug paraphernalia inside the farmhouse. The area around the Dutch Burn House was searched by a metal detection expert in an attempt to find the missing car keys while he found loose change no keys were ever located. State police officers received quite a few tips and brought in over 160 persons for personal interviews, and at least three individuals were given polygraph examinations that were, quote, inconclusive, with at least one revealing deception. Now, we don't know who these people are that were given the polygraph examinations. Their names have not been named publicly. Witnesses spot the car. So we have some other witnesses that may have spotted the car, right? So police turned up some witnesses that said they saw Brianna's car on the night that she went missing. One report is around 12.30 a.m. March 20th, and this time is absolutely crucial to any reconstruction of the events. This is a man who has been described in numerous sources as a, quote, very credible witness, said he drove by the Dutch Burn house and noticed the car outside of it. He pointed at the road with, he said the, sorry, the vehicle was pointed at the road with its headlights on at this time. The car fit the description of Brianna's car. A second witness also saw the car sometime around midnight or 1 a.m. They're not certain of the time, but this witness states that the blinker was on. Now, whether instead of in addition to the lights being on, or, you know, instead of, or addition to, we don't know. Okay. So obviously if it's in addition to the first guy could have just missed seeing the blinker being Mm -hmm. on. Uh, if the blinker was on instead of the lights, then someone was in the car after that first sighting. Right. Now, finally, another person reported seeing the car that night. This was closer to 4 AM. This is James Robitelli. This is Brianna's ex-boyfriend, one of her ex-boyfriends, told investigators he drove by on his way home from a party across the border and saw the car and recognized it to be Brianna's. He said there was no sign of her anywhere. It might be strange that he wasn't concerned about Brianna uh, enough to notify anyone of her abandoned vehicle. Did he see any lights on? I couldn't find a statement from him stating that lights were on that might've drawn, that may have alerted him more later. He would say he was drunk that night and he was afraid of getting in trouble. So he didn't report it that night. And it's tough too, because you'd think if there's no keys and the cars in park, then why are the lights on? Mm -hmm. The other thing too, though, that's interesting about his statement is he says he saw the car, but he, he, he outwardly states that, Brianna was nowhere near or not in the area, meaning to me that he may have, he likely stopped and investigated that he got close enough to the car to see that there was no one in it at the time. Right. 
we should note that one of the homes that Brianna had stayed at during this time away from her parents' house was James's grandparents' house. Now, at the end of March, a forensic team processed Brianna's car, searching it thoroughly and taking pieces out of the interior to test. They are looking for evidence of a struggle or possible foul play. All right. So we have the initial investigation. It states that it didn't indicate any kind of violent struggle inside the vehicle. Although the investigator conceded that the way that the car was backed into the house, it did not look like a quote, normal accident. No, like you said in the trailer, I mean, this is, it's kind of strange. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen cars hit houses before, right? But never back up into them. Right. And they found Brianna's ATM card. Uh, they found her contact lenses and migraine medication inside the vehicle. Mm -hmm. As stated earlier, her keys were gone and they have never been found to this day. Interestingly, Lieutenant Nelson, um, working the case told reporters, the car was discovered at one twenty-two AM on March 20th by a neighbor. So this must be the unnamed witness that is quoted, you know, stated to be credible who saw the lights and or blinkers on another thing. Lieutenant Nelson said that's interesting is that it wasn't immediately apparent to investigators that Brianna was the last person to drive the vehicle. Now he did not expound on this statement. Yeah. I wonder what they found to make them think that it, that's a weird statement. And, and the reason why I find that to be a weird statement, captain is you can kind of take that one of two ways. You can take it in a sense that maybe they found something to indicate that possibly there was someone else driving the vehicle at the time of the accident mm -hmm. or that they couldn't find anything to definitively say that Brianna was in fact the one driving the vehicle. Right. You know, it's kind of a very vague statement to throw out there. Yeah. And the second one's not so bad though. I mean, just to say, well, we don't know for sure. So let's just keep an open mind. So the Maitlands offered up a $20,000 reward for information leading to Brianna's safe return or the arrest of the person or persons responsible for her disappearance. And they did establish a website. This is bringbrehome.com uh, dedicated to finding her. So who is Brianna, Captain? Brianna Alexandra Maitland was born on October 8th, 1986. At the time of her disappearance, she was just 17 years old. She was five foot tall, five foot four inches tall, I'm sorry, weighs 105 pounds, has hazel eyes and medium length brown hair. Yeah. She also has a nose stud in her left nostril and a faint scar on her left eyebrow. She is a hardy New Englander who can shoot skeet, track deer and zip around on an ATV or snowmobile. Brianna's mom says one time Brianna packed, picked up a hitchhiker and brought him home. One thing that's important to know about Brianna is that she is trained in, uh, jujitsu. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Just seeing that word on paper threw me for a loop. Uh, so she brought the hitchhiker home. Mm -hmm. I mean, aren't you just supposed to pick them up and take them, drop them off somewhere else? You're not supposed uh, to take them home, are you? I, you look, I've had 
that I can recall. I think I've had one experience with a hitchhiker, mm-hmm. and that was the protocol for that trip was to uh, drop them off at another location, this not, is actually, not bring them home. This was actually very common in the 70s. I mean, hitchhikers were very common, and people would pick them up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but 2004, not so much. But No, no, but what I'm saying is thinking back on it to think that at one point in the, in our nation that in the 70s we're like hey just pick people up man it's cool yeah well and it it would happen often on uh college campuses as well like mm-hmm. so students that didn't know one another from attending the school but happened to be from you know hey like if you lived somewhere along my drive home right we we there were ways of hooking up that I'd be like hey I'll drop the captain off on my way back to to my family's home for Thanksgiving. Right. Well, I'm, I'm an 80s baby, so it's like I've heard all the stories from the 70s, and now we're investigating this case of 2004, and you go, she picked up a hitchhiker? Like, that's just not something people do. Yeah. I mean, I've never hitchhiked myself, but as far as the jiu-jitsu thing goes, we should note that she wasn't just trained in it. This is a She was studying the practice for several years leading up to her disappearance. But I think what's interesting thing here, Captain, about the hitchhiker, I think if you are knowing in advance that she is absolutely willing to pick up a hitchhiker, I think that points out to the same thought that she might be willing to accept a ride as well. With so much focus on the vehicle and what could have happened to the vehicle, what happened to her afterwards, we don't know. Right. And this points to the thought where, you know, because we've covered other cases where parents or loved ones or friends are going, she would have never gotten to a car. Not this situation. You can't tell me that if she's willing to let someone in her car, I think she's willing to accept a ride, especially if you're kind of out in the sticks in a dark area at midnight. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I I don't want to look. I'm not trying to judge jujitsu at all, but. You know, there's been a lot of masters of the the martial arts that are masters of jiu-jitsu that say, hey, look, this stuff works in that setting. But this is grappling. This has nothing to do with striking. So this idea that if, if somebody tried to attack her that she'd be able to take down any man is just kind of a ridiculous statement. Well, that's... I mean, I don't know who's saying that statement. I just stating that she was not, she didn't have the inability to do such. Right. Um, that it was possible that she's trained in some, in a, in a form of martial arts that most people are not. So, uh, but while we're on the, the topic of background information on Brianna, we should point out too, that there was an assault on Brianna that occurred on February 27th. This is only weeks before, she went missing. Yeah, and she took a selfie. She, well, reports are that Brianna was at a party mm-hmm. in Richford, which is near the Canadian border. James Robitelli, which is a name that we've heard before, uh, who was either her ex or her current flame at the time of this party, was also there. Right, he's and, the guy that reported seeing her car. A number of other kids were there as well, including a girl named Keely LaCrosse and a local guy whom Keely was possibly involved with. Keely thought that Brianna was flirting with this guy. 
So words were exchanged and Brianna walked out of the party and went out to James's truck. Apparently she fell asleep, but at some point Keely and her cousin came outside, told Brianna to roll down the window and they challenged her to a, a, a fight, mm-hmm. punching Fisticuffs. her in the face. Yeah. Punching her in the face. Mm-hmm. Friends of Brianna reported that Keely was pushing Brianna to fight her and hit her again, but Brianna refused to fight. Right, so she, she just got punched a few times in the face. And she left the party crying. Uh, James apparently drove her home that night. Brianna sustained a broken nose and a concussion and two very black eyes. Now, at the urging of her parents, Brianna filed charges. These charges were ultimately dropped by the county district attorney's office after Brianna went missing. We don't know a whole lot about Keely LaCrosse, but for what it's worth, uh, in 2005, she told WCAX, mm-hmm. quote, I got into an argument with her, meaning Brianna, and I regret everything that happened. I really wish she was here today, end quote. Keely went on to have a few tangles with the law, if you want to call them that, including an arrest for home invasion and assault in 2012. This is, this is problematic. I feel, I feel like we have a situation here where we have a history. We have someone who I wouldn't call it. This is not a fight. She attacked Mm -hmm. Brianna broke her nose, gave her a concussion. Yeah. Yeah, so words are exchanged, and Brianna left the situation. Right. Went outside and chilled out in the truck, and then she's approached again by this girl. And then we ha- we do know that she goes on to have this situation of a home invasion and assault. Here's my understanding. I wish I knew a little bit more about this home invasion because home invasions can be extremely violent. Hell, we discussed one just last week in the garage right? that ended in a double homicide. Mm. So I don't know the details of this home invasion. It could have been something as simple to break in and recover something or break in and steal drugs. But I do have an understanding of the assault. So the assault, these were not two separate crimes. The assault took place during the home invasion. And from my understanding, she bit the victim. Now, I don't know if if they busted into the home and a fight broke out. Right. And then the assault occurred. But this was in 2012. So we have two, two incidents where we see that we have a violent individual is what we do know. And unfortunately, these charges would ultimately be dropped because we don't have a victim around anymore. We don't have Brianna around anymore to follow through on the charges being brought against Keeley. Right. So, but what you're saying is Keeley's house was broken into. No, 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 no. Mm. Home invasion. Meaning she was either invaded another home or part of a group that invaded another home. Okay. So she was one of the invaders. Yes. Okay. Yes. So she's in trouble with law. She's not just involved with them as a victim. Yeah. That's not a good thing. Right. So we have, I think you and I can agree. This is, is someone that has at least on more than one occasion, shown signs to have been violent. Well, and let me put this, you know, I want to say this is hearsay, rumor, mill stuff, but as far as this party goes, this whole idea that that uh, Brianna came with her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend. James. James, 
see, I heard this story a little different. The rumor mill that I heard was that Keeley was involved. They were both involved with this guy, James, and that's what the fight was over. Okay. That was the rumor that I heard. Now, if, is that true? I'm not for sure. That's, that's the rumor I, I heard. And that could be right. Which makes it more suspicious that James saw her car that night. Possibly, yes. And But this was what calls into question for me. Is Keeley a good suspect? And, you know, there are... I did find reports... Did you see the picture of her face? Uh, yeah. Uh, Brianna's face? Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, she looked like she was in the octagon. Right. Know? But the reason why I bring up is Keeley a good suspect. I think on the surface, at least knowing this background information, there's some kind of history there. But there, I have seen online reports that state that, no, she's not a good suspect. She's been cleared. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find I couldn't find verification of what actually cleared her. But what I could find was I could find a statement from Brianna's father, Bruce Maitland, who says he, quote, doesn't believe she was ever really cleared. Okay. So let's keep, keep an open mind. We don't know why she's cleared. We don't know what her alibi was. You know, I think it's a good lead to go down. Yes. The other lead we should go down is a possible drug connection to this missing persons case. So in 2004, the Vermont Hills area where Brianna lived was suffering from a drug epidemic. There was a massive influx of drugs brought by dealers from New York and Massachusetts. There already was plenty of pot in the area, but this newer infiltration of hard drugs, they were bringing in things like crack, cocaine, and heroin. This was not just brought into the area. It was a problem. Right. So two drug dealers who came up to the small town Vermont area from the big city were Raymond Street Ryans of Queens, New York, and Nathaniel Lowe Jackson, also from New York. These guys sold crack and other drugs to the teens in the area, but they didn't just sell to these kids. They hung out with them as well. Well, that's normally how it works. The two of them attended parties and socialized with the younger kids. They were providing drugs to how much Brianna was involved in this drug scene is hotly contested. She seems to have been a pot smoker. Some friends say that she may have tried Coke or crack uh, a time or two. Mm -hmm. Others, other people say that it went beyond that, you know, that she had some kind of drug problem. Yeah. Some rumors that she's a full blown crackhead. I mean, one of the, speculations is one of the reasons why she got two jobs. I mean, she's couch surfing and stuff like that. So one of the reasons why she got the the second job was to uh, maintain her drug addiction. Yeah. And so that's interesting, Captain, because there there's two schools of thought here. I would think mm-hmm. is that one, you have someone who's working two jobs because they're living above their means and they're spending money on things like drugs Mm-hmm. Or then I go back to the statement given by her mother of Brianna was in the process of getting her life back together. So maybe she's working the two jobs and she's she's on a on the bridge to better days. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, but but again, yeah. But what you tell your parents at the age of seventeen and what they know is two different things. Well, but again, though that statement is is troubling as well 
because the statement of she is getting in the process of getting her life together. What does that mean? What was going on? What was wrong before mm-hmm. the Maybe time they, period that she went missing? And does that involve the use of hardcore drugs? And again, like, like I was saying to you over the phone last week, you know, what your parents know of you at the age of 15, 16, 17, they, they don't know much unless you're giving them that information or they're su- suspicious of something. So they're kind of snooping, but guess what? They can't snoop if you're not living there, right? So they're not going to pick up on who's calling you. They're not going to pick up on who you'd left the house with, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to pick up on who came over to the house. These are all important little clues that parents have to pay attention to because your teenagers are, are normally not going to be forthcoming with, hey, you know, I, I've been hanging out with, um, you know, this guy and this guy, and we've been smoking crack. That's normally not how it goes down. So, you know, I, I don't blame. <laughs> that's, that's never dinner conversation, is it? I'm just saying I, 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 don't, I don't blame her parents for not knowing. I'm just saying let's, let's start assuming that they probably don't know everything that was going on in her life at that time. Mm-hmm. I had to get me a second job because the old captain got me on the crack pipe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've Mom never and got anybody on the crack pipe. Yeah, dear mother. Um, dear mother. So we have Vermont State Police Investigator Brian Miller, who we've discussed before. He said publicly that they knew Brianna, quote, experimented with a wide range of drugs. So the police seem to have some sort of evidence that this may have been going on. And that they could not rule out drugs being connected to her disappearance. The other thing, though, too, is it might be possible that Brianna had some kind of or was in some kind of relationship with one of the dealers that we discussed. And this is Low Jackson. The two of them had been seen together multiple times by Brianna's friends and family. We don't know if there was for sure a relationship or any more about this. But what what I feel like is it doesn't look good. Well, what I was going to say about the job, the rumor about the second job was that she was actually in debt as far as she owed money to people that she's getting drugs from. Right. So it's kind of, uh, there's two stories. One, that she wanted to get drugs. Well, multiple stories. Do, do Have two jobs, get your life together. Have two jobs so you can pay for your drugs get a second job because you're in debt and you owe drug dealers money. Ban the van. Order your Ban the Van shirt today. They're on the website truecrimegarage.com. Click on the store page. Yep, and if you are looking for full for the full archive of True Crime Garage, you can get that for free on the Stitcher app. You just download the Stitcher app and you can find all of our episodes there. And if you want to hear our premium show off the record, you can do that at Stitcher Premium. And for a free month of listening, just go to stitcherpremium.com slash truecrimegarage and use promo code garage. All right, friends, until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.